Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Can we give the Lord another hand of praise? He is awesome. Awesome. Glory to God. Sister Jamie, thank you for letting the Lord use you. Amen. Come on and give the Lord another hand for our sister Jamie. Glory to God. Praise the name of Jesus. I love worship, church. I don't know. And any Christian who don't love worship, I got a question if they're a Christian. Glory to God. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. We've been dealing with the topic of Christian living for a few weeks now, and I haven't preached in like three weeks, glory to God, so it's been like a lifetime, hello, somebody. So I'm going to keep you here for about two hours today, glory to God, and I'm just, I'm just joking, hallelujah. I may, I may not get past my first point just because we had such an awesome time in worship, but I do want to share with you some truth here that we find in the Word of God. And the reason why I believe that this is important for us to really grasp this whole message of Christian living is because if I were to look at our times, I would say that we are living in times of redefinition. What do I mean by that? We're living in times where laws are being challenged and changed. We're living in times where constitutional things that were set years and years ago are being challenged and being changed. We're living in a time where we know this this year in the National Day of Prayer, there was petitions that there would not be a National Day of Prayer. And so obviously we're living in a time where there's some redefinition trying to take place and the enemy is the one who is behind this. Hello, somebody. And so with that same thing happening within our law system and, you know, our legal system and within the laws, also, you know, people's ideologies and beliefs, those things are being challenged as well. We see people being challenged in, in, in their Christianity and their faith and what things are wrong. You know, years ago, it was, pretty, it was pretty cut and dry what was right and what was wrong. Now it's like kind of like gray up in the air. Hello. So if the Bible doesn't say not to do it, then we can do it. Is that right? Well, I got a question for you. Where did the Bible say you could do it? Because, mm-hmm. you know, that, 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 that's, that's the automatic thing that we jump to. Well, the Bible doesn't say you can't do it. Well, where does the Bible say you can do it? Because if the Bible says you can do it, then you can go ahead and you can run with that. But if the Bible doesn't say you can do it, why don't you just stay where you're at? Glory to God. Mm-hmm. But anyway, anyway, let, 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 let's move on. Glory to God. Not only that, but also the very definition of Christianity, of what a Christian is. That is definitely being altered because of what? Misrepresentation, church. Because we got a whole bunch of people. We do, we, we, and, and I'm going to say we. Say we. We make it easy. Because we just let anybody just be a Christian. Hello, somebody. They, oh, yeah, they, they go to church. They're a Christian. Are you sure? You positive that walking in the door made you a Christian? Mm-mm. Oh, because you, know, you know the songs that made you a Christian. Because you've been to church three weeks in a row. That makes you a Christian. Mm-hmm. No. The reality is that a Christian should bear some fruit. A Christian should bear a resemblance to the King of kings and Lord of lords. This, this misrepresentation of true Christianity is only the result of a church, now hear me, that has lost its resolve to stand up for truth, Period. That is the reason why we have this misrepresentation, because we get afraid, because right away we're called religious fanatics. When you begin to communicate, and listen, I'm not telling you to go out there with your judgmental, you know, hammer ready to lay it down and say, you know, no, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just calling fruit, fruit. That's what you do. Amen, somebody? I mean, I, I mean, reality is, if, if I saw an apple and I said it was an apple, was I judging the apple? Or was I just speaking the obvious? 
I was declaring the obvious. I don't remember who it was. Someone was in my car the other day. We were driving from church to my house, and, and, and they, they were asking me, well, you know, Bishop, someone started talking to me about judging, and I began to communicate. I said, listen, and the Holy Spirit gave it to me at that moment. I said, you know, the bottom line is there's a difference between judging something and just declaring what is obvious. And if there is bad fruit, it is bad fruit. You're not condemning the person because you and I can never, we, we can never know what a person's eternal destination is. Hello, somebody. We can never know. We don't have the right to make that judgment. But what we can say, and it behooves of us to say it, is that's good fruit or that's bad fruit. That's godly or that's not godly. But hear me, it isn't just because we don't stand up for truth, but it is because of a lack of devotion to search out the truth of Scripture. See, this is the reason why we get quiet. You know why we get quiet? Because when someone else brings some other stuff to us, we get confused. Do I believe what's, what, what I believe is right? And why is that? Because we lack the foundation that comes from studying the scriptures. I shared the story with you before. When the Jehovah's Witness came to my house, I was like maybe three months old in the Lord, excited about Jesus. I mean, I was passionate about God. Anybody would know it. I still had a chip on my shoulder, but I love Jesus. Hello, glory to God. I had, I had a passion for him. I was in the word. And these Jehovah's Witnesses came to my house, and they rocked my world. When they left my front door, passionate Jason, loving Jesus, hello, was shook. Thank God for my father who called that day. Amen, somebody. And I got on the phone with him, and he was like, what's up, son? I said, man, I said, I just had a conversation with these Jehovah's Witnesses. And he was like, you know, matter of fact, he was like, Psh, don't even worry about that. He said, my dad is like the king of the watchtower in Puerto Rico over here. And he's a superintendent. He said, man, Jason, don't even, don't even sweat that. He said, it's not truth. And, and that right there, you know, blew the wind back into my sail. And I said, hold on a second. Let me go and study the scripture. Let me not just stick with what they communicated. And I went back and I looked at the scriptures and I found, you know, Philippians chapter 2. And I was looking at, wow, you know, all of these wonderful things that were communicating about the deity of Jesus. And I said, well, glory to God. I can't wait till they come back so we can have a better conversation. I'm more equipped for that conversation. But that's because of what? It wasn't, it wasn't solely because of what my father said. It's because of what my heavenly father communicated to me through his word. Amen? It's because I went and I got into the word of God. And so it's not just about standing up for truth. You're only going to stand for so long. Tr trust me, there's going to be someone that's going to come into your life that's going to shake you if you're not really standing on the solid rock. Hello? But it isn't just that either, church. The reason why we have this misrepresentation, and the other night in prayer, this was just, I mean, burning inside of my spirit. And it is because not only do we lack a true devotion to searching out the truth of the scriptures, but we also lack a desperation in seeking the face of God in prayer, in fasting, and in a lifestyle of worship. Notice the word that I used, desperation. I'm not, I'm not just talking about just being, you know, content with, I got to have a prayer time. No, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm not even talking about you coming to church on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or coming on Tuesday nights of prayer because that may not even demonstrate a desperation. That may demonstrate availability. That's the bottom line. But what I'm talking about is I am talking about a true desperation and hunger to seek the face of Almighty God that not just in this place, not, 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 not just, you know, what? No, but I'm talking about something that is burning inside of your heart that is saying, God, I cannot live without 
about more of you. That's the type of desperation that I'm talking about. The type of desperation that says, man, I don't want anything but to seek the face of God. I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to seek the face of God. I know I've got to do other stuff, but I want to be in the presence of God. That when I'm driving from one location to the other, that I'm crying out inside of my spirit. That every idle moment that I have in my life, that I'm walking. And you know what? If you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost and you speak in tongues, that that spiritual language begins to bubble up inside of you because there's a desperation going on for God. But you know what, church? The reality is most of us, and I say this without any hair on my tongue, most of us are not really desperate for God. Hear me. Most of us are content with where we are. Most of us are not desperately crying out for more of God. And I say this again. I've said it before. If we really were, we would see the results of that desperation. Because God is faithful to his word. God declares clearly. He says it in the Old Testament to the children of Israel. And so he communicates it to them. He tells them that if they humble themselves and they seek his face. And, and we ain't going to go through that scripture there because I know that's an old covenant. But if we move into the New Testament, doesn't the scriptures teach us that, that, that everything that we ask according to his will, that he hears us? Amen, somebody? That's the text. That's what the scripture says. Promise to believers. And so if we're asking according to his will, God, he tells us to be worshipers. He tells us to seek his face. He tells us to lay down our life. He communicates these things. So what do you think he's telling us that for? So we can know that's good stuff. No, no, no. He's telling us so that we can live that lifestyle. And the reason why we have the, the misrepresentation is because we lack that. We don't stand up for truth the way that we should. We can't stand up for truth the way that we should because we're not devoted to searching these truths and or to not, not devoted to searching these truths out. We are not devoted to seeking the truth of what God is saying and, and, and getting that down in our spirit and knowing what God is communicating. And then there's no desperation for him. And so, you know, we just go through our life and we're okay with Christianity as it is. Church, I'm not okay with Christianity the way it is. We should not be okay with Christianity the way that it is. We should desire more of God. We should desire to see God doing greater things in this earth. The bottom line is this. And in this time of redefinition, we have a choice. We can either allow the redefinition to continue on throughout our days or you and I can repent before God for our silence and our indifference and we can become the true salt and light that we have been called to be and by the grace of God, we can reclaim the sanctity of Christianity. We can reestablish the necessity of Christianity in this world and we can regain our due respect within our society. We have a choice. We can sit back and say we're good with it just like it is and we can live just like it is and everything is okay and we're going to get to heaven and hopefully we're here well done, good and faithful servant. Or we can say, wait a second, I'm not happy with this. I'm not, I'm not satisfied with this. I want to see more of God through this Christian living that I'm supposed to be living. I want to see more of God within, within our days. I want to do that. And when I say get our due respect, I want to point something out. I'm not talking about everybody being all chummy with you. Hello. Because the true church is always going to have opposition. Amen. But you know what? The true church will get their due respect. You see the book of Acts gives us a prime example. The Bible tells us that they were respected within their community. They were persecuted. People were getting their head cut off. Hello. But they were respected within their community. The people knew that there was a need for the church. There was a line that was drawn. And you know, we're not going to come in here unless we're serious and we mean business with God. And so that's the same thing that needs to happen in our days. You know where it begins, church? It begins with us deciding what we're going to do. And our choice is going to be defined by one thing. And it's going to be an answer to this question. And it's the title of the message. Who is your life? Who is your life? Look at what the scripture says to us here. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears... 
then you also will appear with him in glory. When Christ, who is our life, and I love the way the Apostle Paul communicates this, just matter-of-factly. He's speaking to the church, and if you're truly a child of God, guess what? Christ should be your life. Amen? Christ should be your life. He should be the very breath that you're breathing. Hallelujah. He should be the reason why you are existing, why you are moving, why you are doing everything that you do. He should be our life. And if he is your life, if he is my life, then you know what? We're, we've already made the choice. The choice is we're not going to be satisfied. Maybe we just need to be shaken up a little bit. Hello. Because, you know, even though Christ in our life, sometimes situations around us, they get the best of our mind. They get the best of our heart. We all go through difficult situations. We all go through difficult circumstances. We go through those moments where we have those valley times. You know that we all go through that stuff. But that doesn't mean that Christ needs to stop being our life. Because when he is our life, we're not satisfied with anything more than seeing more of him in us. Amen? The first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, who our life is determines our focus. Who our life is determines our focus. If Christ is our life, then our focus is going to be determined by that. We've seen people that we know that they say, hey, man, you know, they live for their kids. You ever met someone like that? They, I mean, everything in their life just revolves around their children. Bottom line, they just, everything is about their kids. Everything, everything, everything. That, 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 that can't be right. Hello, somebody. Our life is supposed to revolve around Christ. We see people that they live for their spouse. Everything revolves around them. That's the wrong thing according to scriptures. Now, does that mean that you're not supposed to be a good parent? No. Does that mean you're supposed to let your kids just do whatever they're going to do and you don't pay attention to them? Is that, no, that's not what I'm saying. Does that mean you're not supposed to love your spouse? That you're not supposed to? No, that's not what I'm saying either. What I am saying is that we cannot, they cannot be our life. Christ has to be our life. See, here's the truth. The truth is that we cannot deny the reality that we, whatever we're truly striving for and whatever our mind is continuing on, we can't deny that reality. There is a reality. There is something that you and I are striving for. Bottom line, if you're younger, you may be striving for a scholarship. You may be striving for a certain career. You know, you may be striving for a certain amount of money, whatever. I don't know what you're striving for, but there's something that you are striving for. There is something that is your goal. You can't deny that. There is something that has you driven, hopefully. Hello. But the reality is, the thing that should be burning inside of us is what? Is that our mind should be where? It should be set on things above. Look what the scripture says. The scripture says, if, you, if then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So the first thing he communicates to us is he says we need to be seeking those things that are above, not the things of this earth. This is what the text says. It's not Bishop saying this. This is not me making up something. This is what the Apostle Paul communicated, you know, a long, long time ago as, as an established um, a prerequisite for the church that we are supposed to be seeking those things. So our practical life, everything that we do should be doing what? It should be going after those things that are in heaven. It should be going after those things that are in heaven. We also know that we can't deny what our mind is on. The next thing that he says there is he says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. 
So how do you do that? Because in the midst of a world, see, this is the reality. The reality is that we go through stuff in our life, and and our minds become consumed with them. As you get older, you know, I mean, and and we all all know if you you just, you know, just rewind a little bit. You know, for some of us, we got to rewind a little longer. Hello, somebody. You know, and, and we get back to those to those years when we were kids. You know, I, I mean, when we were little kids, I, there was nothing on our mind. We just want to play all the time. Hello, somebody. But, you know, you, you start moving up in age and you get into middle school and then, you know, your mind starts being consumed with stuff, you know. You start, you know, you start being consumed with your friends and situations that are going on with them and this one that you like or that one. You know, you, you, you start going through all, your mind become consumed with these things. You're at home and, you know, I remember when I was a kid, they were always telling me, man, get off the phone. I'd be on the phone for like two or three hours, just craziness, you know, and, and just because your mind was just on, on other things, right? This is just how it is. As you move past those years, you start to realize, man, I spend a lot of time on stuff that really don't matter. It's not, it, I'm not saying that it's not important because at that age, it's important. And we need to recognize that and respect that. Amen, somebody? But the fact of the matter is, when we get a little bit older, then we start worrying about bills. Hello, somebody. There's some people, they're so stressed out about their jobs, they go home and look, they they can't even sleep because their mind is thinking about the 10 things they got to do tomorrow. Hello. They need to get some scriptures in their life. Do not worry about tomorrow. Hello, somebody. It has enough worry of its own, glory to God, right? But, but here's, here's the bottom line. We go through, we have our mind on stuff. Our mind becomes consumed. But the apostle Paul says, set your mind, fix your mind, get your thoughts attuned with and in align with heaven. Hello, somebody. This is what the apostles communicate. You know what he's trying to say? He's saying if you and I can get our mind in tune with heaven, guess what? The things of this earth won't weigh us down as much. If you and I can get our minds attuned with the heavenly stuff, if we can get our mind focused on the things that God has communicated, the things that are in the word of God, we're not going to be walking around heavy burdened and heavy laden. Why? Because we came to Christ and we laid our burdens down. Hello. We came to him and we became mindful of the things that he communicates. So as a Christian, we're talking about Christian living, we should be seeking. So that means our practical behavior should be seeking those things which are above where Christ is. And we should be setting our mind on those things because what? I love the next verse there. For you died. For you died. I love the example. If you took a handgun and put it at the head of someone in a coffin, would they move? No, they're dead. (laughs) They're dead. There's no fear in them. They're gone. You could take the biggest knife and just, you know, go crazy. Do nothing to them because they are dead. I love the story in one, of the, in one of the commentaries that I was reading, and it was talking about these two young ladies. It said these two young ladies, they used to live a real, you know, promiscuous, crazy life, party girls, you know, stuff like this. They were converted, gave their life to Christ, and began to serve God. And they got an invitation to come to this party, and they responded to the invitation. We're sorry we won't be attending because we recently died. How are you responding to the party invitations you're getting? How, how are you responding? Are you dead? Oh, man, I got, I, you know, I, I want to go. I, you stutter stepping. 
Right? You know, I, I, know I, I know I shouldn't, but... Or, 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 you, or, 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 you, or you justify, right? I'm going to go to the party. I'm just going to sit against the wall. <laughs> I'm going to be a witness. Not for Jesus, though. I'm just going to witness everything that's going on. Hello, somebody. Uh-huh. How, how do you respond to those situations? Are you dead? Is your mind on things above? Or is it on things of this earth? Listen, I'm not saying you can't go to a party. That's not what I'm saying. That's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to get all religious on you and stuff like that. But what I'm going to tell you is, you know what's going on in them parties. Hello? You know what is godly and what is not and where you should be and where you should not be. And the question is this, are you dead or alive? Are you living for yourself or are you living for Christ? Well, according to the scriptures, you're a child of God. Paul says it, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died. Your old man, your old woman died. The moment you came to Christ, death occurred. A new life entered in. And now your life is hidden in Christ. You've been forgiven of your sins. You have been washed in that glorious blood. You have been redeemed from the sin and the wrath of God. You have been set free. Hallelujah. And so now your life is hidden in him. In God, glory to God, wonderful place to be. In him, our life is hidden. And he goes on again, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him. Christian living church is best experienced and most clearly expressed through a devotion to seeing Christ manifested here and now through us and also us being manifested with him in the future. See, when we're living with our minds on heavenly things, when we're living with our hearts focused on eternity, when we're living for the life to come, you know what we're doing? We are storing up treasure in heaven. That's what we're doing. And there's a whole lot of folks, you know, they got plenty of stuff stored up here. They're running after all kind of dreams and all kind of stuff, but they're not running after the most important thing. And it is eternity, church. When we go to eternity, you know, as I was sitting down and I was thinking about this, I said, man, when Jesus communicates in that parable where he says, many will come unto me, and, you know, and, 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 you know when, when they come unto me, many will come to me and say, you know, did we not do this in your name? Do that? And he communicates all of this stuff, and he says that he will tell them to part from me. I never knew you. But he tells the other ones. He says, he says to the other folks, right? The other folks that were there, he says to them, well done, good and faithful servants. That should strike your heart pretty deep. Look at the wall. We're committed to loving God, growing together, reaching others, serving. He didn't say, well done, good and faithful Christian. He didn't say, well done, good and faithful believer. He didn't say, well done, good and faithful cutie. That, 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 that. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. If you really know Christ, guess what you're going to become? A servant. You are going to become a person who is serving him with everything that you have. A person who is serving him with all of your life. When our lives, listen to this now, when our lives are truly hidden in Christ, the deeper we enter into intimacy with him, the greater satisfaction we find in him and the less satisfaction we find in our experiences in this world. 
the deeper church, that we enter into intimacy with him. See, when our life is hidden in him, because when, when you say your life is hidden, it's like, you know, you put that treasure, hello. It's, it's, it's hidden in him. And so what happens is your life, your existence is deep up in God. And so what happens to us is that as you grow in intimacy with him, in prayer with him, in the meditation and the studying of the word of God with him, as you enter into those times of intimacy with him, as you grow in that, then you know what begins to happen? You begin to taste a satisfaction that is beyond this world. And you know what happens? When you begin to taste the stuff that this world offers, there's a dissatisfaction that takes place because it doesn't compare to what you've experienced. That's why the Bible says that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. We can experience his goodness. We can experience who he is. And when our lives are truly hid in him, as we enter into that intimacy, as we enter into that union with him, that's when we begin to experience the greatest satisfaction. But here I want to I say this, and I'm going to close with this here. This, this is going to be my last point that I'm trying to make. But there's something that I want you to understand because I, I, I need to make this practical. Because we automatically we begin to think, well, is the only way that I'm having my mind on heaven when I'm praying, when I'm reading the word of God, when I'm fasting, when I'm singing songs, is that the only way that I am seeking those things that are above there? It can't be. Because if that's, the, if that's the case, then we all just need to lock our stuff up in some kind of monastery, right? Not talk to no one. Just talk to God. Forget about the world around us. Forget about the spouses that God may have blessed us with. Forget about the children that God may have blessed us with. Forget about the parents that God may have given us. Forget about the jobs that we, you know, work. If that's the case, the reality is that we need to realize something. And I love this because Paul Washer, he's actually the one that really brought this home for me. And, I, you know, I've communicated in the past how, you know, I don't believe in this, you know, thing, you know, God first and family. Then, you know, I don't believe in that. I believe that everything revolves around God. I've already explained that. But the one thing that Paul Washer explains in one of his messages that I thought was really powerful, and he said, the thing is this, is that we try to separate sacred and secular. So what we try to do is everything that has to do with church, sacred. If you're going to church, that's holy living. If you're praying, that's holy living. If you're reading your Bible, that's holy living. If you're out evangelizing, that's holy living. If you're over there preaching in different places, that's holy living. That's holy behavior. Everything else is secular. Not true. See, here's the thing. When you look at the scriptures, you find the Bible teaches something very powerful. It tells husbands how to love their wives, wives how to respect their husbands. Amen. Y'all just went through that last night, covenant couples. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So you know what that means? If God puts a mandate on something, you know what he just did? He just sanctified it. He just said being a good husband is just as holy as prayer and fasting. Did you hear what I just said, church? See, here's what begins to happen. When you really put your mind on things above, when you are really seeking those things that are in heaven, you know what happens? And this is, this is an experience that I, that I experienced years into my marriage. But hear me. I began to sense a certain satisfaction. 
not just in my mind that, oh, I did a good thing, but I began to sense a certain satisfaction when I saw dishes in the sink and I decided, you know what, before I go into my room and spend my hour in prayer, I'm going to take 10 minutes, I'm going to wash these dishes, and then I'll go do that. And can I tell you something, church? I feel as much satisfaction in doing that because I know that I've honored my wife and I've honored God Almighty. And God ain't mad because I took a moment to wash dishes. But our religious mind is, oh, I got to put God first and I can't wash dishes. I can't fold clothes. I can't. Hold on a second. Time out. These are sanctified behaviors because you are part of them. Hello, somebody. Y'all, y'all, y'all ain't saying nothing. Y'all, y'all, y'all got to get delivered from this religious mindset because we think I'm walking on clouds. Hold on a second. What about, what, what, what about our work situation? Does not the Bible communicate to us? It talks about how we should be. Remember, it communicates about slaves, and we know that we put the application to those who we, have, we work for somebody, right? And so the Bible communicates about that. So you know what God does? God sanctifies this work situation, and so no longer is that a secular job. You know why? Because you are a saint. Hello, somebody. And so you sanctify the workplace by you being there. And by you doing the right job and the best job you can do, you enter into that atmosphere and you bring holiness and glory and honor to God. And you know what you can find? You can find that same satisfaction flowing from the kingdom of God because you come into the atmosphere of your workplace with the right attitude, with the joy of the Lord, with the peace of God, and you're able to bring blessing to everyone around you. You're not adding weight to the atmosphere because God has filled your life. That's what it means to be a Christian, living a Christian life filled with the Holy Ghost. It's that we enter into the atmosphere and everything we do, our mind is on the kingdom. Our heart is focused on the kingdom and we are seeking the glory that comes from God Almighty and that is the heart that we have to have. See, the issue is we want to go ahead and, well, that's holy. No, all of this is holy. The question is, are you walking in holiness? See, we've got to realize that when we do these things, church, all of these things that they are not minuscule. They are not, they are not, they, they are all high priorities to God. God entrusted you with that job. So you know what that means? You should be an honorable servant in that workplace. God entrusted you with that spouse. So that means you should be an honorable servant toward your spouse. God entrusted you with those parents. See, for the young people, sometimes you don't recognize this, but when you honor your parents, when you honor those people whom God has placed in your life to be your father and your mother, you are directly giving honor and glory to God. And when you get the mindset that that's what is happening, you know what happens? When you see your dad smile, when you see your mother smile, you know what that will do inside of you? That will put a smile in your face, in your heart, because you're like, man, God. God is honored by what I'm doing. That is the mindset, church, that we have to have as the people of God. And have to understand that this is what it means to have our mind on heavenly things. Not to get caught up in the garbage of this world. Not to get caught up in the mess of this world. And I'm going to continue this message next week. But I pray that we grasp something today, church. That we are a people who need to ask the question to ourselves: Who is our life? Let's all stand to our feet.